This past month we've been unpacking this, this whole theme of relationships. And why? It's because when relationships work really well, whatever form and shape they come in, there's nothing more exhilarating. But simultaneously, when relationships aren't doing well, isn't it true that it's like you've been led into this kind of valley of despair and working them out can be so challenging and difficult. So the question we've been asking over this past month is, if God is the creator of everything, then what does he say about the nature of relationships? And what about for people who are wanting to follow Jesus? What does he say about what it looks like in a community setting like a church? What does it look like in relationships between male and female? Um, all of the different dynamics and what's he on about? So that's what we've been talking about this past month. And before I go on, I just want to acknowledge Katrina. Where are you over there? Could you please stand up? What's happening? Come on, stand up for us here. What's happening for you next week? You are getting married, which is great. For you and Madison are getting married. And um, so everything that we say today and you've heard here, you just need to apply. Is that all right? So... And then you can come back and give us the real answers in about six months' time, all right? So we're just with you, we're for you, we're celebrate with you in Madison. Look forward to that day next week as well. Good on you, Katrina. Uh, last Thursday, two Thursdays ago, there was an encounter, and I had people praying, just gathering. There were some people at NCR that just loved praying for others, and it was just brilliant to see as they kind of pray into the lives and relationships of people, as well as different things that are happening in our spheres. And so the next encounter you see, come along to, um, which is just brilliant. And the last thing I want to say before I plunge into this is that engage next week. Building community comes at a cost. And I would invite you next week, if you're one of those ones who goes, I just want to hang back like Gary said, find some common ground and get involved in that as well. It all helps the relationships to continue to build and thrive. The Naked Truth, a series about relationships, dating, singleness and sharing beds. Where we came to um, two weeks ago, we're just going to repack for a moment, but there's three things I want to say as I launch into this final week. The first one is, I do not judge you. If you're here this morning and you're hearing some stuff for the first time and you're thinking, whoa, I never even knew about that. I never actually knew that Jesus thought that, said that, God even intended that. I'm not here this morning to judge you. But what I am to do is to call you to go, would you think about it from another angle? And this is the way God sees it. And, and then you can make some choices yourself about what you do with that information. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, um, then for you, it's the same thing. I don't judge you, but it, it's, it's calling you to kind of consider what does it look like in my life to do relationships the way God kind of intended. The second thing I want to say is that we are responsible for our bodies. This panel was very clear on the modesty thing is that when it comes down to it, you and I are responsible for our bodies. No one else can tell you what to do, how to do it. And it's just that what you need to do is first up say, I am responsible for my body. And then secondly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you say, and Jesus, how do you want me to live in this body that you've given me? The last thing, I realize that so many sensitivities are raised whenever we talk about these kinds of things. So there's a white card with you this morning. If you want to ask a question, if you think there's something that's misinterpreted along the way, then would you just write it down and let's have a conversation about it as well. Two weeks ago, we looked at the whole idea of uh, male and female, man and woman, uh, Adam and Eve, and the, the intent from God from the very beginning was that human beings were to reflect and, and, and to actually reflect something of who God was back into the world. That's one of their key Goals and roles. Secondly, that we were wired, if you like, for companionship. There's a desire in every 
human being to want to connect with and have and share companionship with someone else. That doesn't mean as a double married, but just in relationships in general. But from the first human beings, Adam and Eve, uh, if you like, they released this other power that goes through into the world called sin when they said to God, we don't want to do what you want us to do. We actually want to do our own thing. And so as a result of that, this selfishness, this sinfulness was released into the world and it affects all of our relationships. One person said it this way, our sin supplants sacrifice with selfishness in our marriages. And that can relate to all different kinds of relationships. So the point of week one was to say, instead of finding the right person, be the right person you're looking for. Because one of the key things that we want in our lives is if we think this, this mythology, if we actually find the right person in my life, will be perfectly right. No, the only person you can work on is you. Week two, we talked about sex last week. Wow, wasn't that a good week to be part of, yeah? Um, we just had to loosen up a little bit and say, you know, the way in which the world characterizes sex and sexualities first is that God made it to be pleasurable. That's good, but it's also powerful. And, and there's lots of other stuff happening there. It's not just physical. There's more to it. And so we talked about the way in which the, the context of our communities often looked at sex is you go out and share sex. Maybe you just met for the first time. There's casual sex. There's, there's just connecting for the, the first time. There's this idea of we've got to try before we buy. And then somewhere way down the path, there might become a commitment um, but you've got to actually test out the, the goods first. That's kind of one of the ideas that pervades our community. The challenges we looked at there, but the way in which God, we said, wired the whole thing in us was that we go out with someone if we're kind of wanting to be a double. And, and then I, I put the gap there. So there's some time. There's time to figure out if this person is for me. And then there's this thing called marriage which God intended for intimacy and relationship and love to be shared in that. And it's in that context, sex is best expressed. Um, and when there's children that come and may or may not come along, um, that, that's a context for that. And that's the, the actual way God in which uh, he, he made human beings to be. And so marriage and sexual expression was the place for that. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and going, great, Troy. That wasn't my experience. In fact, my experience was more like the first one. So does that mean in God's eyes that I'm a null, a void, damaged goods, might as well just go and do whatever I want? I, I didn't have a choice in this. It was forced upon me. Or even when I did make a choice, I realize now that it mightn't have been the greatest choices. And so am I damaged goods in God's eyes from here on end? And the answer is no. You see, what thread that runs through the Bible as well is this wonderful word called grace. This idea, if you like, that Jesus sees us for who we are and believes in where we could be. So when people encountered Jesus, he kind of said, you know, if you don't fit this pattern, what I'd like you to do now is think about what would it look like for you to kind of start heading towards that direction now as a result of meeting me and wanting to follow me. So it seems though Jesus has these wonderful ideas of not looking at people as damaged goods, but rather the opportunity for healing and for forgiveness and for cleansing is so powerful in his life. And he extends it so much from his father that there's this wonderful idea that runs through as a thread, a powerful, liberating thing is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you, picks you up, cleans you off and moves you forward and says, now, let's try and get the order that reflects something of who I am. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah? All of us this morning. Okay. So I'm going to jump one. So you think after these two things, you would say this morning, well, that's it. 
go and do those things and put the order right and be the right person you're looking for and all your relationships will work out fine and dandy. And then I went shopping for lounge suites yesterday with my wife. (laughs) We walked into the third store and by that time I'm like, I am over this thing, yeah? Modular lounges. Now, if that's going to do it for you, something is, right? And I remember walking into this third one and I literally, I walked in after she called me and said, where are you? And I said, didn't you see me leave? I'm in the next store. And and, and that wasn't good. And so... um, then, and she arrived, and I remember I looked at a couch, and I said, I like that one. And, and, and she simultaneously said, I like that one. And, and you could not pick two more opposing couches in, in, if you had a dreamt it up in your wildest dreams. It was like the opposites. I'm like, oh my, what are we going to do here? Yeah? I mean, isn't that... Just the crux of relationships there. How do you make it work? How do you make any relationship work when we are so different? Just want you to know we didn't choose any modular lounge suite tomorrow, okay? So the cards are still on the table. However, in my experience of working with people over the last 18 years, having sat with singles and doubles and singles again, I find that there's this overwhelming, I guess, repetitive idea that seems to come through all the different working throughs of conflict. And it goes something like this. They're talking about the other person. They'll say, the other person, they have these things that are happening in their life, and they'll explain, usually it's around an event. And they'll explain the event, and they'll say, you know what? I, I know that I'm not perfect. But, and then they revel up, what the other person's done to hurt them or to damage them, and they kind of repeat it that way. And then what I often do is I actually catch up usually with the other person. This is over 18 years, so I'm not talking about you. If you think I'm talking about you this morning, I'm not talking about you. Collectively, though, when I sit with the other person, they will replay that same event, that same scenario in their words from their frame, and they will repeat the words almost verbatim, I know that I'm not perfect, but... And then they repeat all the things about the other person that's caused them grievances and harm and... Yeah? And so it seems as though when it comes to doing the relationship and the conflict thing and how to work it out, that both parties, no matter who they are, tend to minimize their own stuff and maximize the other person's stuff. You know what I'm saying? Really? We tend to minimize our own stuff and maximize other people's stuff. So when it comes to kind of working it through, you go, you're explaining the same event, but you're emphasizing different things, and you're minimizing your stuff, and you're maximizing the other person's stuff. And it seems when I hear that scenario played out time and time and time again, it's as though we're asking a different kind of question about love. Because we know intuitively that love is the thing that should bind us together. But yet, in our language, it doesn't seem to say enough. I like the sky. I love the sky. I love my car. I love ice cream. And I love you. What kind of love navigates that kind of difference? It's as though the question that intuitively couples or anyone in conflict asks is, what can you do 
to adjust for my needs so that I can be happy. We come to any relationship without even knowing it, asking the question, what can you do to adjust for my needs so that I can be happy? The problem with that, though, is that I find in my relationships and my marriage relationship over the last number 23 years, yes, No, close to, (laughs) is that I find that I can't change someone else. The only person that I can change, and that's hard enough, is myself. Make sense? In fact, there's this wonderful text in the Bible written by a man by the name of Paul. You can look it up if you want, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, many weddings that you might have gone to may have quoted this particular passage. If you like, he gives the solution to this dilemma. The idea of he collects all of his understanding and ideas about love and he wraps them up in a few little phrases. It's like his anthology of love. And this is how it goes. And now I'll show you the most excellent way. He says, love is patient. Wow. Let's unpack that a little bit more. The idea that love never pressures someone to do something ahead of time, but rather creates space for them to work things out for themselves. Doesn't coerce, doesn't push, doesn't prod. It's patient. The next thing he goes on and says is, when I think about love, love is kind. The kind of love that he talks about, if you like, this kindness is the one that goes out of its way to be nice and express care without even being asked. I was reading a study by two psychologists this week, the Gottman Foundation, John and Julie Gottman, studying couples who actually make it past six years of marriage and those who fail along the way. They said the key difference they found is how they dealt with one another when it came to bidding. Bidding was those moments throughout the course of the day where one of the persons would say, oh, have you seen what it says here in the newspaper? Just an offhanded comment. And the other person would pause for a moment, listen to what the person had to say, validate it by maybe even nodding or adding a comment to it, and then proceeding on with their everyday kind of activity. One gentleman might see a bird flying outside and just comment to his wife, oh, have you seen that golden finch outside? It's amazing. And the wife might stop for a moment and go, wow, I've never seen that before. That's incredible. And then just go on with her activity. He said that kind of bidding was like these little intimate moments between two people where someone would say, have you noticed this? And the other person would stop and pause, give respect to, and just make a little comment, but just continually along the way. The couples who didn't make it past six years, he said 33% success rate when it came to the natural bidding in their relationship. He said the the ones that made it past six years in a healthy way were the ones in nine times out of ten, 90%. Whenever there was this informal bidding happening, it was as though there's this connection going on between the two of them, validated, move on. The number one thing they found in the relationships that seemed to add health was this simple thing called kindness. It's like a muscle if you exercise it. It grows and gains momentum of its own. They, They both agreed that the one thing that kills relationships, the death knell of a relationship, is when two people fall into contempt of one another. Always adversarial. Nothing can be said without there being some sarcastic comment along the way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
In other words, it celebrates other people's successes without feeling smaller. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where someone wins and you don't and you feel smaller and you feel like they're bigger and they've got one over you? See, the, the people who, who love, they, they don't envy and they don't boast and it's not something that, that they're proud about, but rather they have the capacity to be able to cheer on someone else, their spouse or whoever it is, without feeling lesser about themselves. Paul goes on and he says this, It's not shameful. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. If you like, it actually creates no regrets. There's no indecency in love. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Wow. You see, you'd get it wrong this morning if you looked at all these words and you said, wow, that's, I've, I've got to do that. I've got to actually work harder at that. And you do, and I do. And, but rather, this isn't a description like a bar that you're supposed to reach up to. When you and I read these words, surely it's a bar that reminds us of who we are and who we're not. It's a description about what love not only is, but what love does. It's a verb. And it comes from God. The Bible says that God is love. And so this idea is not not supposed to be a beating rod for myself, but it's supposed to draw me to reality and insightfulness in my own life that actually says, you know what, I at times am not that at all. I need to tap into the source of love to help me love. And so it strikes me that the key question, if you like, that love asks is simply this. How can I make you a better you from having spent some time with you? How can I help you to be a better you having spent some time with you? Imagine if each one of us asked this question, no matter where we were, at school, at work, at home. Imagine if we woke up in the morning times and we asked this question. No matter who I bump into, no matter who I meet, no matter what kind of interaction I have, I'm going to ask this question of every engagement I have throughout the week. How can I make the people I Greet this week. How can I make the people I interact with this week? How can I make them better for having known me? Does that make sense? I call it the rule of the lawnmower. Next door neighbor some years ago uh, lived and we have a gate between our two properties before they moved. We had a gate between the two properties, and there would be, uh, at any time, given the, the course of the week, one of us might be in the other's garage using their tools and their stuff. But he, he was a, a, a toolsman who kind of kept his stuff far cleaner than my stuff. All right? And so the rule was, and I knew it, he never said it, but I knew it, is that whenever I borrowed his stuff, the rule of engagement in my mind was, I need to return it in the same nick or better nick than what I got it. The rule of the lawnmower. So when I used the lawnmower, I would make sure that I went out and it's cleaned. When I used his screwdriver set, I would make sure that it comes back in better condition than what it left in. If you like, I was asking this question, how can I make this a better this once I've used it? Now this applies to dating. Uh, if a couple are trying to figure out if they're going to be together for the rest of their lives and they go, you know what, if I don't end up marrying you, the rule of thumb is this, the rule of the lawnmower. 
I need to leave you in better nick for the next person along the way than what I found you in. The, the, the rule of the double is that, you know what, when you wake up in the morning times, you can start to think the grass is always greener over there. You go, actually, no, if I ask this question, how can I make you a better you for being and sharing and spending some time with you? I think it would revolutionize relationships. For singles, again, the whole idea of going, you know what, rather than just jumping into the next roundabout of relationship, what about if I paused for a moment and I asked myself the question, in my dealings with other people, am I actually putting them in the center? As a result of me spending time with them, are they a better them? So for me, it comes down to four L's. Here they are, if you want to sum up love. Love listens. When someone gives their time to someone else and actually listens to what they're saying and engages with them, it powerfully affirms them as an individual. It's a way that you can make them a better you, a better them. Secondly, love laughs. When relationships don't have any laughter in them anymore, then you really wonder, is there any joy? Is there any sustenance? People go out of their ways to share laughter together as a sign of health. Have you stopped laughing? Maybe you need to get some laughter back in a relationship. The third one, it learns. See, one of the problems with couples who grow a little bit old and moldy and stale is that they actually stop learning about one another, new shared experiences together. They need to do things that would help them learn. And lastly, the most powerful one is that love lifts. There are some people in their relationships that do them like this. You want to put someone down in order for you to be a better person, to feel better about yourself, that you need to put them down to make you stand taller. But I tell you this, love lifts. They should come away from every engagement with you going, you know what, I stand a little bit taller, stand a little bit prouder, stand a little bit more accurate in my thinking. Doesn't mean you don't challenge people along the way for behavior that's inappropriate, but at the end of the day, they know that, 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 that at the end of the day, what you're wanting more than anything else is to lift them and for them to be a better them because having known you. Pete and the crew are going to come. We're going to take a moment and pause to create a space where these words can kind of sit with you and resonate. Love is patient, love is kind. How can I make you a better you? But what I find with God is that when, create, when we create and make space for God in our lives, when we pause for a moment, open up our hands, pray a simple prayer, God, would you download some of your love into my life? What I find that happens is that his dimension where he dwells seems to draw a little bit closer to mine and he teaches me about love. We call it worship. When human beings direct their praise to a holy, loving God, he delights to actually reveal himself and pour his love into people's lives. And usually the question that's asked along the way is, God, not will you fix that other person so that then I will be happy? What I find is that God comes whispering to us and says, have you thought about changing that in your life, that attitude, 
and he works with us so that we can ask this question, how do I make you a better you along the way? So we're going to pause for a moment. You like to engage with these guys and create a space where you might draw close to God and that he might speak to you.